A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of Uni Therapy Podcast. I'm Kat and I am the host. Okay, so if you're new, hi, welcome. And I'm so happy you're here. You have arrived on a very, very special day. But before I get into the topic today and introduce you to our guest, I want to put out a quick reminder that although I am a therapist, and actually our guest today is as well, this podcast does not serve as a replacement or substitute for actual therapy. We hope it might encourage you to go if you're able to, but it itself is not therapy. Now, I wanted to do a little intro today, especially because we are talking about something that can make people feel really uncomfortable and has a lot of different kinds of stigmas attached to it. We're talking about sex. And I know you guys have been wanting an episode on purity culture. You're still going to get that. You definitely are. So I know a lot of you guys want to talk about that part of sex and, and what that is and what that does and all that comes with it. But there's a lot more to cover when it comes to sex. A lot more. And we can't cover it at all. But I was talking to the guest today before we hit record about how I wanted this to be an episode that kind of like dipped our toes into the idea that talking about sex can be normal and it actually is necessary. And I think our conversation definitely did that. I'm very pleased with it and it was an amazing conversation. So who is our guest? Her name is Nicoletta Heidegger and she is not only a licensed marriage and family therapist, but she has a master's in human sexuality and is pursuing her doctorate in that as well. She is a practicing therapist and she specializes in sex therapy, which if you're like, oh my God, what the heck is that? That sounds crazy. Huh? What does she do? We talk about it. Don't worry. We talk about it. We cover it. And I want to let you guys know also up top that she also hosts her own podcast called Sluts and Scholars that I highly recommend, which if you're like me and I first saw the title of that podcast, I was like, oh my gosh. And I had all these feelings and all these thoughts. Don't worry. You're not alone. 
And she actually explains why she named her podcast that at the end of the episode. So that's a little bit of a teaser to get you to listen to the whole thing. And I actually love her podcast. I think it's awesome. I think it's necessary and it's so helpful. And I'm so grateful that she has it. Now, I have to say this because it deserves to be said. Nicoletta was one of the easiest people for me to interview for this podcast because she's so kind. She's so warm. She's so full of amazing information. And you can tell she's passionate about what she's doing. She really wants to help people. And you can totally feel that being even over Zoom with her. Also, little disclaimer, halfway through the conversation, you might notice a little bit of an audio change because, you know, I made a mistake because I'm a human and also a human who doesn't really understand technology. And I didn't realize that Zoom reinstated their 40 minute limit because during COVID, they let that go away. If it, especially if it was just a meeting with one other person, you could have a meeting for as long as you wanted. So I got this notification during our interview that was like, oh, the limit. And then I was like, oh no. And then I was like, Nicoletta, we have to, you know, this was, there's no sentences coming out of my mouth. I was flustered. I was like, we have to stop and restart. She was so cool about it. Like so cool about it. So easy. And she was like, oh, we can just hang up and then I'll call you back and I'll record it on my end. Not knowing that I could also have started my own meeting and I also could have recorded on my end too. But now we know for future Take a little lesson from Shauna Nequist. I hadn't learned that yet, and now I learned it. So everything's coming full circle. So I just wanted to say that, one, because if you notice a little bit of the audio shift, that's what that is. And two, it was just another example of like how like easygoing and cool she was. She could have been annoyed or mad or, I don't know, been like, why don't you know what you're doing? You're a podcaster. But she was like, oh, I totally get it. I 100% get this kind of stuff. It happened. This kind of stuff happens to me all the time, too. And it just made me feel okay to mess up and be myself, which we need those reminders. So thank you, Nicoletta, for being the human you are. And I feel like I should stop talking about my technical difficulties and I should introduce the conversation. So here's my conversation with Nicoletta. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Please do not hesitate to email me any questions that you have, because I'm definitely going to have her back on at some point. So you can email Catherine at uniontherapypodcast.com. Maybe it's a question I can answer in couch talks, or maybe it's a question that can help get Nicoletta back on the show. Also follow her. I'm going to link all of her Instagrams for her podcast and her personal in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy it. I already said, here's my conversation, but I wanted to say all that. So again, here is my conversation with Nicoletta. I hope you enjoy it. I'm so glad you're here. I've been looking forward to this and I'm on vacation right now, but I was like, I know, oh. but I was like, I've got to do this. I want to do this episode <laughs> and you. I want to do it as soon as possible. Okay. So the cool thing about you is that you uh, are a multitude of things. You're a podcast host. You are pursuing your PhD. You're a licensed marriage and family therapist, which I love, but then also you're a sexologist. And for anybody who might read that, they might be like, what the heck is that? So I would like to start with like the basics here. One, what got you into pursuing becoming a therapist? And then you go down this because we all then pick expertise and what we want to like really hone in on. You then got a master's in human sexuality and now are pursuing a PhD. And so what brought you there? And then 
we need to know what is a sexologist and what is sex therapy? <laughs> well, firstly, thank you for asking those questions. And, you know, to anyone listening, I know that even like the topic of this can like elicit a lot of feelings. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to specialize in sex. So I had a great therapist growing up, which was really lovely, I think, for me to be able to start talking about and feeling my feelings. When I first went to therapy, it was when I was a teenager and my mom, I guess, encouraged would be the gentle word, encouraged me to go. And I was not about it. I was like, I don't want to go to therapy. Therapy is for crazy people. I had stigma about it myself. And she was like, you know what? You can just go and talk shit about me and <laughs> say what a horrible mother I am. And she wasn't a horrible mother, but you know, I was angsty yeah. and had my own stuff going on. And so I went and I just talked crap about my mom and, you know, complained and all that stuff. But then over time, I realized how it could help me in, in all the things in my life and relationships, especially. And so when I went to college, I ended up working at the sexual health, like peer resource center, which was a place that people could come and get advice and tips about sexuality. They could learn about safer sex practices. They could get condoms. They could even ask questions about STI testing and get tested. Uh, and so I ended up working there as well as at a peer counseling center. And I liked it so much. And, and even before college, I was lucky enough to have some parents and some people in my life who actually talked to me about sex, uh, which is a novel thing for most people, I think, in our culture. So I wasn't among the majority there. I think most people like didn't even have people that could, they could talk to about this. So I ended up becoming the person that people would come to and ask questions or like in sex ed class, the, the one class that we got, which was like so minimal and most people don't really get any. I remember my friends would be like, can you ask this question? Can you ask this question for me? Because they were afraid to ask it themselves out loud. Yeah. Cause they, they were afraid to ask it out loud or even say the words. And so I somehow got kind of lucky just with some people in my life where I learned to even get used to saying these words out loud. So by the time I got to college and worked at the sexual health resource center, I knew it was something I felt comfortable with. I knew it was something I was passionate about. And then the more I studied in the field of therapy and psychology, I realized that it is just another field where we also don't talk about sex. And so most therapists are only required, and I'm in California, so it's different states to state, um, are only required to take one class, if at all, on human sexuality. I didn't do any. And it's, yeah, you didn't I do didn't any. any. So some states don't require at all. So if you're someone who grew up, no one was talking to you about sex, there wasn't any type of sex ed, and then you go to grad school and there's no classes in human sexuality, and you have a client coming in who's talking about their relationship, but you're not talking about sex, you're missing so much. Yeah. There's so much there. And so I was just feeling even more frustrated looking at the field and being like, wow, this is a field where we're supposed to be able to talk about whatever we want, no judgment, but even the therapists don't feel comfortable talking about it. Can I tell a story really quick? Oh my gosh, please. That just made me think about this. One, I didn't have in, you mentioned sex ed. I didn't have that. We did not have that. And in our like mm -hmm. PE class in high school, we had like health but like that, yeah. it's like wear a condom right. or you, get it's like, die or get it's like mean girls. You will, you, if you have sex, you'll die. You'll get chlamydia and die. But so, yeah. so I didn't have anything high school. And then in college and I did child and family studies and we took one human sexuality class, but it was like, a, I mean, it was like a joke. I don't remember anything from it. And I think nobody really wanted to talk about that stuff. So we just like touched the surface. And then in grad school, nothing. And my first internship, 
So I started as somebody who did like the BPSs, the biopsychosocial. So for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's just when a client comes in, you like go through everything. It takes like two hours, their whole history, everything about them. And I was doing it with men, women, people older than me, people younger than me. And there was a section about sex. And so you had to ask like, are you sexually active? Have you ever had sex? Like that thing. Yeah, which is also like, what does that even mean? How do they define sex? Right. So, but but at that time, I would never have thought to even think that though, because I was like, you were just like, let me just check this off the box. But then there was one question that you had to ask, do you masturbate? And then you had to ask how often. And I cannot tell you how uncomfortable Sometimes I would skip the question because to me, like sex is one thing, but masturbation, we do not talk about that. And we also don't yeah. do it. And if you do do it, that's bad. And like how embarrassing. Yeah, because we're, we're taught to rely on another person for our pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember going to my uh, supervisor and like kind of tattling on myself and being like, I hate this. I don't want to do this especially because I was at one point working with like men my age and I felt uncomfortable and I put my discomfort on them. And so she made me sit in her office and say the word masturbation and ask that question over and over, like until it felt like I was saying like, do you have shoes on? Like she just wanted (laughs) me to say it until it felt like I was saying anything else. And that did help. But I just like, as you're talking about that saying, well, the therapists are uncomfortable. Yeah, I probably did not open up space for a lot of what people needed space for back then because I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. So just so you know, (laughs) therapists need this too. And you know what, even I know this uh, episode isn't about like OBGYNs and things. And this, again, this isn't the same state to state, but most OBGYNs, and again, these are the people who deliver your babies, give you pap smears. Most are not required to take any classes in human sexuality. And so they're doing, you know, procedures and things on you sometimes without a working knowledge about kind of the uh, sexual medicine specialty. So people have to get a specialization in sexual medicine to be able to kind of see clients on that specific topic. Okay, we're going to go back, but I just have to ask this because that makes me think of like vaginismus and all that. Like if I'm having like issues and pain and I would think I would go to my gynecologist, but you're saying like they might not even know about that. You would have to then, so you go to your gynecologist and if it's uncomfortable for you to do that to be honest a lot of people just have trouble going to the doctor for anything because of fear of doctors and all that so then I would have to go make another appointment after that with a specialist I just imagine that feeling like even my gyno can't help me something's wrong with me yeah, it, it, look, it is a systemic issue. And unfortunately, there are some wonderful gynecologists out there. So I, I think the field is, you know, obviously necessary. And that might be the first place to start. But yeah, some people don't have that specialization. But I think if you're listening, and there's any takeaway, just know that if like something is bothering you, whether that be pelvic pain, or pain during sex, uh, or really painful periods, if your OBGYN is not giving you options and sort of experiences and things to do with that, that it's not the end of the line. There, there are, are things people. to be done. There are other people. And I think that would be like my ideal takeaway from folks of this conversation that I know it can be scary to even ask the questions, but just know that like, if you've ever thought of it or it pops into your head, someone is out there to like support you. Someone is out there who's also experiencing the same thing. Like it is, yeah, it's out there. Yeah. And it's, that goes back to like that fear of asking questions when you're in school. We've all yeah. felt that whether it was in a 
sexuality class or anything like that. I felt it in basically any class. I was afraid to ask a question because I felt like I was the only one thinking it or wondering it. And usually there's like three other people at least that are sitting there not wanting to ask that too. So yeah, but yeah you aren't alone and there are are people out there. Well, yeah. And so ima- imagine you're going to therapy, right? And you maybe want to talk about sex, but you're not sure how to bring it up. And then your therapist, like, you know, your therapist doesn't even bring it up and then it just doesn't get talked about. And so I do see a lot of clients who come to see me who have been like, oh, I've been in therapy for five years, 10 years, you know, however long, one year, whatever. And they're like, and I can't talk to my therapist about sex. Every time I bring it up, they seem uncomfortable. And, and maybe the therapist is, maybe it's just their own discomfort. Um, but I have a lot of people who come see me as like a specialist in that area. And so, yeah, I think when I was in in my master's, my first master's program for marriage family therapy, I just realized how uncomfortable everyone was. And like, I don't blame you. I don't blame therapists. I think this is a systemic issue, right? Like you said, it starts from birth. Like if no one talks to us about our body, if no one talks to us about anatomy, if no one talks to us about sex, there's no sex ed. It's not happening in classes. Like if you don't have a supervisor like you did, that maybe helps you work on some of that. How are you expected to get comfortable within your own self to even be able to say those words and ask those questions um, and to be able to help a client? And so I saw that and I was like, the fact that I'm feeling more comfortable or have done some work to feel more comfortable about this, like I have to specialize in this, that therapy cannot be another place where we don't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you went and got a master's in human sexuality, and then now you're getting your PhD. And one of the things you do is you work with clients on this and you do sex therapy. So I'm making this assumption, but since a lot of people don't know what therapy is and they make assumptions about that, there's probably some assumptions about what sex therapy is. So can you just tell us what that actually is and what you do? Hey guys, Kat here, and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you You Need Therapy after you check out. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. 
we're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so to go back to the word you said before, sexologist, sexologist just means someone who studies sex or someone who like studies sex professionally. Sex therapy would be, and, and this depends state to state, but it's you know a therapist that specializes in issues relating to sex. Most states in the U.S., except for Florida and maybe a few others, do not require additional training to call yourself a sex therapist. Um, and so there are, it's hard Wait, for what? the consumer- Yes. So most of them do get training, but there's not like a governing licensing board in most states where you like have to be a part of it to say, I'm a sex therapist or I do sex therapy. So I would say for the consumer, it's important to look and see and ask someone like, what is your training in this? If you are looking for that, but in terms of what it actually is, um, I guess the simplest way I would break it down is it's like talk therapy, but we actually talk about sex. (laughs) And so that's like the simplest way that I can break it down, I think. And then in terms of like who comes to see me or what kind of like people reach out for that, it's totally runs the gamut across the board. So I would say the most common thing that I see is people who are in a relationship where they're I wouldn't use this word, but they call it our sex drives or our libidos are not lining up. So this is like every partnership or every marriage that exists out there. Um, But it's people who aren't aligning. Someone's wanting sex more than the other person or the way they're lining up isn't working. Another thing that's pretty popular that I see folks for is just people who aren't having the kind of pleasurable sex that they want. So that could be folks who have never had an orgasm or people who are having painful sex or people who aren't having sex at all and don't know what to do. And when I say sex, I really like broadly define it. So I think in our culture, we are taught that sex is intercourse. You know, sex is something going in something else. Usually that's a penis and a vagina. And to me, sex can be so many other things. And so I also see people who are dealing with 
struggles around their sexuality, their orientation, their gender, people who have had trauma. And a lot of people have had trauma and trauma could be, I never got sex education. And then I was expected to enjoy sex. Like that could be trauma for somebody. And then I would say the most common thing that pops up for everyone I see is shame. So sexual shame, body shame, bodily functioning shame, existing shame, like, you know, just shame. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm glad you brought up shame. So you have a podcast called Sluts and Scholars. And I was listening to a couple episodes. And then I was just like looking at all of the episodes and reading the titles. And it was so cool for me to see just this thing that's just like, out on the internet that's not like bleeped out it doesn't have like the word you can read the words because I feel like a lot of words that are just like body parts right so even you saying like penis and vagina it's like well you shouldn't yeah you shouldn't say that (laughs) but like I I thought it was so cool because even just like seeing that was like normalizing some of the stuff for me as a human and well we know what we do know is that like shame lives eats breathes off of silence so the more we're not talking about something the more we're not saying a word the more shame that is getting kind of like covered on top of that thing and then we're teaching us oh this is bad this is bad this is bad and so the more we can see something and and hear it and read it the more we're like wait a second this isn't that bad this isn't that this isn't bad at all wait oh mate is this bad I don't I have space to decide for myself yeah I, I love I love that you bring that up because this is something that I teach a lot of people just about their own experience growing up and not talking about sex, but also for new parents and how to talk to their kids about this stuff, because the shame starts really early and you named it with the key thing. It's the shame starts with not even saying the words of the actual body parts. And so that's often how a lot of young people start feeling shame because they're like, wow, this thing on me, my genitals, my whatever is so bad that we can't even say the words. So like, let me, and I invite, you know, listeners to ask themselves this, what did your family members, caregivers, wherever you grew up, what did they call your private parts? Like she, she, yeah. we, cha-cha, pee-pee, your privates, like what, I don't know. Your what Hoo-ha. Yeah. yeah. Like all these made up words. And like, you know, sometimes it's cute. It's funny. It's okay. If that's like an additional word that you use, but for a young person to learn that even the actual name of this is so bad that we can't say it, that elicits so much shame in a young person. Well, because nobody's calling like your arm something else. It's just like your arm. Like no, So nobody right. is having shame at the fact that they have an arm. That's so interesting. So I don't know if you have an answer to this, but like, what do you think that comes from? Like, why do you think that we are coming up with these nicknames that then elicit this shame response? Was there shame around this first or did we create this? I mean, look, I think I think we live in a culture that is definitely has a lot of puritanical roots. I think, you know, the majority of this culture is uh, practicing some type of religion. And I think there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of things in religious communities about, you know, sex before marriage and things like that. And so I think the purity culture uh, that we've grown up in definitely uh, elicits like not an open conversation or dialogue about this stuff as something that like shouldn't be talked about. I also think that there's still a myth that if we teach or talk to young people about sex, that that means they're going to be having more sex as opposed to, oh, this is going to help them make more informed decisions. But additionally, not teaching the names of things is also bad for 
young people to be more at risk for having like sexual assault things happen and not reporting it or not saying something about it um, or not knowing how to say something. Cause if you don't even know the names of parts of your bodies or what something is or what's going on, if something non-consensual happens to you, how are you supposed to even tell somebody or tell someone that they were doing something that wasn't okay or wasn't consensual or even name the things that happened if you're just saying, you know, my shishi. Right. There's two things that popped up in my head as you're saying that one there's plenty of reasons why people don't report abuse, whether they're younger or older. But yeah, I, all sorts I, yeah, of things. But, but I think yeah, this is a reason for not not, not knowing, knowing what to say. But yeah, but I but I also was thinking like that actually makes it adds another layer to I'm not going to report this because there could be one reason, and then on top of that talking about this thing is embarrassing and shameful and so I don't want anybody to know like you didn't ask for that so it's not like you were like oh do this thing or I want to it just is so I think for a lot of people they'll why didn't you report that why don't you do that because one I don't know how I don't know what words to say and that's even embarrassing or I don't even I don't even know that this is right or wrong because nobody's talked about this thing with me the other thing that popped up as you were saying that this is so interesting I'm just having like a it's like you hit like a memory in my head I was telling you how we didn't have any education on sex in high school mm-hmm. no we did have and I grew up in Franklin Tennessee which is right outside of Nashville like 30 minutes outside of Nashville yeah so we didn't have any sex education but you probably did have an abstinence purity oh commitment yes thing. yes we had yeah. they were called teens in touch And Uh I remember that they were high schoolers and they would come to the middle school and they were always like, I remember when they came to, when I was in like, I don't know if it was sixth or seventh grade, they came and I remember they were like the jocks. It was like the cheerleaders and the like football players or the soccer players, the hot 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 people that you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, yeah, the people that you want to be. And then they were, I remember this and the people that you want to have sex with. (laughs) Yes. So I remember this one guy will not say his name, but he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he played baseball, but he was like a popular, he was like a senior in high school probably at the time, or maybe a junior. And he told the story about how like, because you tell like why why you're waiting yeah so he says the reason he was doing it because he wanted to give this gift to his future wife and blah blah blah. and I was like that is the most romantic thing I've ever heard in my life like Mm. all this stuff and then I ended up joining this group when I was in high school which was so funny because everybody in that group was having sex they were all having sex and it was like so because we heard about it like we all talked about it outside of the thing but it's like why are you in this group because you want to maintain this image I guess I don't know I can't speak for everybody but it's so interesting to me that we did not have any education on how to have safe sex we didn't have any education on like what is happening in your body or anything or language or understanding but we had uh, we did have groups saying don't do it and and for moral reasons yeah I think there's nothing wrong with having that if that is your choice and if you want to wait until marriage like that is totally fine your decision and I think then I end up seeing a lot of couples who have been taught for most of their life that sex is not okay, that sex is something that you should wait, that it is this big gift. And then people put so much pressure on it, but also don't know how to go about connecting or doing things physically. So then they get to marriage and they're like, what do we do? And so a lot of people will struggle with even experiencing pleasure, or they will struggle with erectile difficulties, or they will struggle with orgasming 
coming before they want to, premature ejaculation, like all these things are happening because it's like you're waiting, 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 and then you're putting this thing on a pedestal. And then you also like don't have any, any tools or education about it. And then all of a sudden, because it's the right person that you're supposed to be with for the rest of your life, then you're expected to like know what to do. And it's just supposed to come naturally. Yes. It does not come naturally. Yeah. Okay. And then when it doesn't, then it's like, it's another layer of shame. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Oh and um, I actually went on a purity retreat when I was in high school. Oh my gosh. So I, I will be honest. I, it was so backwards because I went on this purity retreat, but I started going to like the teen groups at the church that my parents were going to because I thought the boys were hot. <laughs> and so I was like, I want to go to like the teen, you know, group and it was fun and they had a rock band and, you know, it was a very like, a, you know, forward, whatever church. And so I was like, oh, but all these, like, I wanted to meet like hot boys that were in high, you know, at the same age. And so I went on this purity retreat, but in the back of my mind, the whole time I was like, where are the hot guys at? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I did go on this retreat and experience and it was, it was interesting to hear about just all the different experiences and like what some of the like mentors and, and pastors and things were saying. And um, I definitely like bought into it for myself for a while, but I also think that I was able to come from a place of what I would call like informed consent. Yeah. Like I had these ideas of like, what are my options out there? This is one option, but what else is available to me? Yeah, it wasn't just one option. You you had choices. And I think that I'm really glad yeah. you said that because there's no right or wrong way to decide what you want to do with yeah. your body. I just want people to have the ability and experience to be in charge of their why. Like I'm choosing to wait till marriage because of a decision that I made not based in shame, but based in information and based in like how I feel and what I want versus what I should do, or I'm choosing not to. And it's also based in the same thing. And I think that's really important and something that I didn't see growing up because we didn't talk about it. So yeah. uh, the choices I made were, I thought they were for me. But you didn't have enough to think about like what narratives actually informed right. information yeah. that I'm working I mean, I think when we talk about shame, we can't forget to include control. Because when I think there's any feelings of shame, there's also an aspect of control. And control could be control of what a beautiful body is supposed to look like, or a control about like being sexual. It's all, it's to me, it's all based in control. Yeah. And I think this comes from a, a place in our culture and capitalism and whatever, where like control benefits the smoothness of a culture, you know, where people aren't thinking as much for themselves or making decisions or things that make it difficult to control everybody. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As you said that, I kind of was like, I'm thinking about somebody who's like sitting up tall and not afraid to like walk through a door and say what they need, ask for what they need or be whatever person that it is that they want to be. But I feel like a lot of the work that I do with clients and you can probably attest to this is that we're helping people like actually do that sit up tall and we're helping people actually wait a second like we were talking about choice like this isn't me i i'm acting this way because what i've been taught or what i thought was going to get me xyz how do i actually sit with like my like my posture not embarrassed and shameful when i actually start talking about who i really am how do i sit up taller and have my shoulders back i mean that's really cool and i'm glad you said that because i don't think people want to acknowledge that part or even even know to acknowledge that part that I mean if we're empowered in one sense it's going to offset the gain of some whether it's somebody else or something else yeah and so I think when we're talking about like where does the shame come from I mean I think there are so many layers sometimes it's purity culture and religion sometimes it's just our parents didn't learn this and their parents didn't learn this and they never taught us about this sometimes it's coming from that place of control sometimes it's 
I don't know, just coming from like media and popular culture, right? I think that's another area, right? Like when we're watching movies or rom-coms, like what are the usual sex and intimacy scenes that we see, right? It's sort of yeah. like, oh, two people connect and they both have an orgasm at the same time. At the same time. And, and it happens from penetration alone, which is not true for most people who are women. And so we're watching this and it's not like they really talk about it before. They don't talk about like, well, what kind of sex do you want to be having? Like, what are the things that you want to do? What are some things you don't want to do? What brings you pleasure? Show me, you know, it's just kind of like all the stars align and it's hot and this happens. And so if you're not having that and you have no other information being fed to you, of course, you're going to compare yourself. And it's the same with like beauty stuff too, right? Like we're looking at actors or social media and then comparing ourselves to somebody's highlight reel and thinking like there's something wrong with me. And so I think it comes a lot from like the media as well or advertising, you know, it's, we're trying to sell a a of whatever someone decided was the ideal. Yes. And okay. So I specialize in eating disorders and body image. So thank you for saying that. Such a huge intersection of sex and eating disorders because it has to to do with the body. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, we could do a whole three hours on that. But I'm so glad you used that example because you're right. Just like I talk all the time with clients or even on the podcast about like, you do not understand that you are looking at something that actually is most of the time not real, or it is that way because they have the resources and the time and the energy. And, and when it comes to like, now there's this new age of like influencers and influencers can be awesome. And one of the things that also is hard about them is that they're supposed to be like normal people. And so I'm supposed to be able to relate to them, but then that their skin looks this way and their, their fridge, when they open it up, looks that way. And how did they cook dinner that many times a week for their family? And I'm supposed to relate to this person because it's just like me. But the thing is, they're not just like you. Their job is to be an influencer. Their job isn't this. And then they also have to do all those things that you want to do. So that comparison is so parallel to like, if the only experience I have of seeing or talking or knowing about sex is from these movies, because my parents aren't talking about it, the school isn't talking about it, so my friends aren't talking about it, and then I don't want to talk about it, well, then I see it in, in movies. And depending on what kind of, I mean, I think there's most of the time the same, no matter what kind of movie it is, the same scenes, what you've described. And then I might start engaging in sex and I'm like, wait a second, I'm, something's wrong here. I'm not doing it right. Because it's not like that. And am I missing something? So I just wonder, like, when you get the get clients, when you work with people that that's their experience, my fear around all of this, and why I think I even started with, tell me what you even do is because I don't know that people know that there are people that can help, like there are people out there that can help with this. And they might not know the questions to ask. And that's something that you can help with. But when they see that, and because there is such a layer of shame, is there a a part of the brain somewhere saying like, I'm messed up and wrong, don't talk about it? Or wait a second, something's off, I need a little bit of help. I mean, I I do think there is, and it's not like an innate brain thing that happens. Like I said, I think it's because of culture that if we, I think a lot of us are taught that when you find the person you want, that sex is just supposed to maybe come naturally, if you're even allowed or supposed to have sex at all. And so I think there is this assumption of like, oh, it's just supposed to be natural. And so if it's not quote unquote natural, then something's wrong versus this is 
something to learn, like having great sex is something to learn. It is an ongoing practice. This is my field and I still work on it all the time with my long-term relationship and, and myself. You know, it is an ongoing muscle to be worked. There's a, a quote that a lot of sex educators uh, and therapists will use about uh, actually, it brings up kind of the topic of what you were saying, but it's about porn. And so I think a lot of people have issues with porn and they think that porn is the problem. But to me, more of the issue is that we don't have other sex education. And so most people are just learning their sex ed from things like movies and porn. Mm-hmm. And so the quote that comes up for a lot of therapists and educators is that you shouldn't learn to drive from watching The Fast and the Furious, just like you shouldn't learn to have sex from watching porn, right? This is done by professionals, most the time or athletes or people who are performing it is done for entertainment and so i think you know if we don't have these other tools and resources to learn then we are comparing ourselves to the entertainers so like yes people like me exist out there there are also sexuality coaches there are also educators but i would say like maybe 60 percent of the things that i do with clients is just education we call it psychoeducation, educating people about things that they never learned. And I could tell you some of the top things I have to educate people about. I think that's a good way to kind of like wrap kind of all this up. But first, I have to say this because you were telling that story of like that people learn how to have sex by watching porn. And the image I got, I'm, do you watch New Girl? Honestly, not yeah. enough to probably know the reference. Okay. Tell me. okay. So I love New Girl. It's one of my favorite shows. And I forget what had happened I, I think she was gonna have oh she had only ever had sex with her boyfriend that she had had of six years and so she was dating this new guy and she wanted to have sex with him but she was really nervous so she ended up watching porn she was watching one of the guys that she lived with his computer she was like glued like eyes stuck on there for hours watching it and it freaked her out she was like I can't do this blah 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 and it was like this whole thing and I think that's very interesting that you say that it's like well it's because where else was she gonna go Like, could she just go have a conversation with her partner about it? Could she go have a conversation with one of her friends about it? Has anybody ever talked to her about it? So I think it's interesting how that, yeah, that you said as a joke, but it's real life is playing out like that. But yeah, let's go into, I want to know the top things that you either are passionate about educating people about or the top things that you end up just talking about and and kind of teaching people like me. I mean, I would say, I think I already said this, but one of the main things is that like connecting sexually with yourself or another person like doesn't just always come naturally for most people. And so I think a lot of people feel that if they are aligned with the person that they think they want to be with or date or get married to that it like should just line up in some way Mm -hmm. or that when things stop becoming spontaneous uh, that something is wrong. And so I think that's like the biggest myth that I help people bust is just helping them to know that having pleasurable, enjoyable connection with yourself and others takes work and practice and really intentional work and practice. And there are people out there like myself to help folks with that. So a, it takes practice. B, you don't have to do it alone. If you are feeling like totally terrified of the concept of like sex therapy, a maybe like easier, I don't know if it's easier for whoever's listening, but like a maybe softer step to try first is there's some really great apps Mm. that feature like card decks that talk about sex and intimacy. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of, instead of like initiating the conversations when you've never talked about sex stuff, Mm -hmm. blame it on the card deck, right? And they have like one that my colleague makes that I've actually helped write some of the sex and relationship questions for is called Love Wick. And they have card decks about everything from like 
meeting the parents to how do you travel together to money, to children, to finances and sex and relationships. So like if you're feeling scared to just dive into the topic of sex, like look a little more broadly and then, you know, try some of these things out and be like, oh, well, the cards asked, you know, (laughs) I think sometimes that's, that's all that clients need to do for me is like permission to talk about sex. So even if it's scary, if like someone says it first, there's permission to even talk about that topic, whether that be a doctor asking first, a therapist asking first, the card deck asking first, so mm-hmm. that someone doesn't have to ask first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the main things. I think another thing that I see, and this is for people who have vaginas, I, I say it like that because some women don't align with having a vagina. So basically people who have a vagina, I think the most common thing that I see for those, uh, those folks is thinking that they are supposed to have an orgasm from penetration alone. This is probably the biggest thing that I have to educate a lot of clients on is most people think because of the movies they've watched, because of lack of sex ed, uh, because of whatever, that if they are having penis and vagina penetration, that they think they are supposed to have an orgasm. But in fact, only about maybe 10 to 15% of women are able to experience an orgasm just from penetration. Wow. So a lot of the work that I do is just teaching people about their anatomy, about their like physique. You were talking about that biopsychosocial model. So yeah. about anatomy, about what the parts are called, about what is actually physiologically required for desire, for pleasure response, yeah. or things like that. So just helping people bust some myths about their expectations for what sex is supposed to look and feel like. I'm just like, I don't know what the feeling is right now. I can't identify it. But I'm just imagining how many people out there, 10 to 15% is not a lot. So I'm just imagining how many people out there are like, something's wrong with me or I'm, I'm doing it wrong or I mean, it could be a, a slew of different things. And then, yeah. And, and most people know. don't, yeah. Or they don't tell their partner or they don't know what they yeah. like. They don't even know what to say. And then we wonder why people aren't wanting to have sex. Well, who would want to have sex that they're not enjoying? Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So that's important. So Everybody rewind and listen to that part again. Okay, so those are two things. Is there anything else that's that's big or comes up all the time? Just if you're listening and you're like, okay, well, that's good to know. What the heck do I do with that? Um, yeah. I always refer clients to read two books. One is called Come As You Are. I bought that book. I haven't read it, but I did buy it. Yeah. Uh, by Emily Nagoski. I yeah. think it's wonderful. Another is called Becoming Cliterate. <laughs> Who's that by? Dr. Lori Mintz. Okay. Uh, and so... If you're listening and you resonated with what we were just talking about, that would be a great place for you to start. Yeah. So this is interesting that I found out about Emily by a podcast she was on. It was an episode of Girls Gotta Eat. It was a while ago, but I remember listening to the episode, I think it was during the summer, and sending it to my friends and being like, oh my God, I can't believe that somebody is finally talking about this. And I'm sure there's more people talking about it, but it's not in my worldview. And I listen to that podcast pretty regularly. But I was like, this is such a, and the way she was talking, she's much like you, the way she speaks about it is just so like, this is like, these are words coming out of my mouth. There's nothing, this is just like, I would talk about eating disorders or I would talk about where I'm going later today. And so it was such a cool conversation to hear her talk about sex from not such a, like a, just like matter of fact. 
Yes. And it was from, to me, felt like more of a woman's perspective because my experience of when people talk about sex, it was all about the men, the, if you're having sex with a man, his experience. And I was like this, thank God somebody is talking about this part of it. So I definitely recommend, I haven't read her book yet, but I'm just going to recommend it already because you did and I have it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I look at, I think to me, it's good for everyone with any body parts. Um, if you love someone who yeah. has a vagina, it's good read for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, look, I think I, I really want to like own and give people the space to like get comfortable even hearing this topic or talking about these words. Cause if you have grown up in a space where this just like, wasn't supposed to be talked about or aren't used to yeah. the words, like it's not just your mind that is like saying, Oh no, I don't want to talk about this. Like it's your body. It's like on a cellular yeah. level that your nervous system yeah. is like, no, this is such an unsafe, uncomfortable topic for me to talk about. And so I don't blame you if you're listening and you're like having a big body experience because this is so layered and it brings up so many things culturally, socially, in our own bodies, physiologically, like, and to maybe be facing some of these topics for like the first time in any kind of public setting is really freaking scary. And so a lot of my work with clients sometimes is, can be really slow and just like I said, asking those questions, but also like having people practice even saying the words or being in a space yeah. where there's even permission to say some of the words or learn new words, like that can take time. Like if you've been living your life one way for 20 plus years, it's not going to be so easy. Like this is my job. You know, I've, I've had to practice saying these words a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it definitely takes some time and practice. And you don't have to do it alone. Like, like I said, there are groups, there are books, there are therapists, there are coaches, there are educators. Like this is something that you deserve and can have support on and it exists out there. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that it exists. And I just want to say to whoever's listening to this that like if you are having an experience and you don't want to have that experience, right? So if you are like, oh, this still feels so uncomfortable, but I want to be like down with this stuff and I want to be able to talk about it with my friends or my partner or whatever, but I still am having this like almost like this icky, like my body's rejecting it. Yeah, that is a normal experience. And just like anything that you do, especially in therapy, like talking about it once doesn't just like shift everything. Like you're going to have to go through some new experiences and have new experiences and do them over and over again to create a new way for your body to interact. And so I want to now do a whole episode on sex and trauma and all of that. And I know you do have some. I saw, I saw one episode that also, I think it was might have been fairly newer, but I went all the way back, so I could be wrong. But it also talked about attachment. You had an episode about like trauma and attachment and sex. And so I do want to say again, if if you're listening to this episode and you're like, I kind of want more, or I don't know if I do, but I want to see if I do, go to her podcast, Sluts and Scholars, and go to your Instagram. You have two. So you have one for your podcast and then one for you. So will you shout those out? Yes, please. Um, so if you are listening and would like to hear more of what I'm doing, and I would love to come back anytime you want to talk please, about anything yes. in those topics. My podcast is Sluts and Scholars, and I use that word with love. So again, as we're talking about getting used to words, um, I use that word because I think uh, as women, we've been judged a lot for our sexual behaviors. And so I'm kind of trying to take it back through a yeah. shame-free educational oh, yeah. podcast. If you want to follow me directly, I'm at therapy with Nicoletta on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, I hope you 
Yeah. Continue your journey on this topic if you're listening. And thank you for even tuning in because I know for some, this can be a scary topic to even broach. So I'm thinking about too, what would be cool to talk about, especially because we kind of touched on a little bit like diet culture and body image and sex and the intersection between those and how they affect whether we're able to engage in it or whether we think we deserve it or what we need to do or, or be to deserve that or engage in it. I might be doing some thinking on that and, and have you back because that'd be very cool. But thank you so much. This was great. If I had three more hours, we would be sitting here for three more hours because I have more things on this list that I made. But I think this was necessary and I've been wanting to have a conversation like this over here for a long time. So thank you. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.